Well, a couple months ago, uh, more than a couple months ago, back in June, my brother and sister-in-law moved from Edmonton to Washington State. And we thought, wouldn't it be great as a family to go down and visit them, see their new place down in southern Washington? Only one problem, our kids' passports had expired. How hard could it be to get a few passports for your kids, right? Well, step one was to wait three or four hours at a Service Canada depot just to drop off documents. No worries, they said, you should have your passports, this is May 1st, but you should have your passports within the next four weeks. Perfect, that gives us an opportunity to go down there this summer. One month went by, two months went by, three months went by, four months went by. It's now the end of summer and we have not heard anything. And so finally, I got in touch with someone to check on the status of those passports. And they sent me a very polite email which essentially said, we haven't even looked at it. We haven't processed it. I pictured those pictures and, and sitting in a file on a desk somewhere or in a box in a storage room. They hadn't even looked at it. I hate waiting. Waiting feels like a giant waste of time. It feels meaningless. It doesn't matter if it's in traffic, at the border, in a grocery line, waiting for passports. Waiting is frustrating. Now, it's one thing to wait in a grocery line or in traffic, but what do you do, friends, when you find yourself waiting for really big things? Really big, consequential things. And that wait goes on year after year after year. Have you ever waited in the midst of a relationship that is broken? There is estrangement and you have prayed and you have sought reconciliation, but nothing is happening and year after year goes by. Have you prayed for someone to find faith in Christ? Someone in your family, you've prayed that for years, but nothing seems to be happening. Have you waited for your physical or mental health to improve? Have you ever waited on God to change someone? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents or your kids, your boss. Have you ever waited on God to change you? Or maybe you've waited to start a new relationship, something that you long for, to meet the right person, You've prayed, but nothing is happening. I remember an honest conversation with a friend on a walk who told me that they had struggled, had experienced temptation in an area of their lives, and they had prayed for years about this. They had talked to people about this. They had sought help and done a, a course and done counseling. And years later, they said, I still struggle with the same things. I thought I'd be healed by now. They're still waiting for that. What do you do when you wait for years and there's no response? Do you ever feel like your life, your concerns are sitting in a file folder somewhere?
phone just cuts out and then it comes back. <laughs> do, you, do you ever feel like your life, your concerns are just sitting somewhere and, and God is not even looking at them? He's not paying attention to them at all. What do you do when you find yourself in the waiting room of life? Well, today has been, has been mentioned, we're starting this series called Resilient Faith, and we're going to look at a number of characters from Scripture who we would say express this resiliency. And of course, what we mean is they encountered significant setbacks, pain, suffering. And yet somehow God met them in that place. They believed and trusted. They endured and this morning, we're going to look at Abraham, a towering figure in the Old Testament. Abraham is considered the father of faith for not just Christians, but for Jews and for Muslims as well. And Abraham knows what it means to wait. In Genesis 12, we read this. He receives a call from God, go from your country your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. You will be a blessing, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When Abraham receives this grand call adventure that he is going to be the father of a nation, he is 75 years old. He receives this specific promise. One year goes by and nothing happens. Okay, let me, maybe I grab that. Sorry about that. Try this one. Mandatory feedback with that one as well. Um, we've got sound here. Check one, two, three. Okay, let's try that again. Uh, where were we? We're talking about Abraham. A year goes by, two years, three years, and nothing's happening. God has made a promise. And nothing seems to be happening. And 10 years go by. And when we pick up the story, it's Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram, his name will be later changed to Abraham. Abram means father, uh, and Abraham means father of many. Abraham, Abram means daddy. Abraham means big daddy. <laughs> Here's what he receives. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. For a few moments, I want to explore how Abraham handled this. What did we see of resilient faith in the person of Abraham after such a long wait? And we're, we're going to look at three things briefly. What did Abraham say? What did he see? And what did he do? And by that, we are going to discover something about resilient faith. What are we invited to say? What are we invited to see? And what are we invited to do? So first, what does resilient faith say? We read the first words recorded from Abraham speaking to God. The first thing he says to God, verse 2, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Now that sounds like an honest question, but after 10 years of waiting, after such an extended patience which has been exhausted, most commentators believe that there is some frustration or exasperation happening here. Lord, how am I supposed to continue to believe? How am I supposed to hope for something for which there is no evidence whatsoever? When all the circumstances suggest otherwise. How am I supposed to trust you, God, when you're moving so slow? The first thing that we learn is that resilient faith is honest. That it gets real and it wrestles with God in times of waiting. Bruce Waltke, a former professor of mine, said, Complaint and faith are not antithetical. Complaint is based on taking God seriously. Or Walter Brueggemann put it this way, the faith to which we are called is not a peaceful, pious acceptance. It is hard-fought and a deeply argued conviction. Friends, did you know that you are a part of a faith community that not just allows you to complain to God, but actually encourages you to do so? Do you know that the prophets and the psalmists came to God again and again? How long? God, how long are you going to make me wait? Because it feels like you're doing nothing, that you don't care. Do you, do you see this encouragement to, to wrestle with God? What, Abraham says, God, what can you show me? One person put it this way, is that we live in a microwave world with a crockpot God. We live in a microwave world where we want things instantly, and yet God moves at the pace of a crockpot, which just takes forever. And as Abraham calls out and says, God, what can you give me? Friends, I wonder what your prayer might be today. What do you want to ask God? What do you want to complain to God about? What, what area of your life have you waited and your patience is exhausted and you want to say, God, I, I need to have it out with you. I need to be honest because it feels 
like you're, you're not even there. Resilient faith is honest. And second, what does resilient faith see? We see in the story that Abraham gets a vision in verse four. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In the midst of Abraham who has his head down and focused on an unfulfilled promise, Abraham is focused on what he does not have. God lifts his head and gives him a vision of the stars. You know, psychologists say that the difference in waiting is what you do while you wait. Now, if you're like me, when you're waiting in line, you get a little grumpy and you dwell on what you don't have. This is a, this is a bad idea um, of something that I do when I'm waiting. I will, um, you know, there's a number of lines and I'm deciding which is the shortest line and I'll get in a line and then I'll look at the other lines and say, if I had chosen that line, where would I be in that line? Does anyone else do that? It's just a form of self-torture. I don't recommend it. You never win. You're always, you're just focused on what you don't have. And sometimes we focus on the unfulfilled promise and God comes and lifts our head to get a fresh vision, a picture of God. And in that moment, Abraham looks up and he sees the stars and he feels small. And he remembers that though he doesn't have the promise, he still has the God of the promise. Though he doesn't have the reward, he has the God who says, Abraham, I am your reward. If for a moment, Abraham looks past the what and he sees the who, he sees a bigger picture, a fresh glimpse of God, and he says, I may not have the gift, but I have the giver of gifts. And if God could make this whole world, if he did all of this, then, then maybe I can trust him to be faithful in my life. Friends, there are times in our lives where we are so focused on what we don't have and the Lord wants to lift our heads and give us a fresh glimpse of who God is. As if to say, I I've got you. Your life and your plans and your future is in my hands. And don't put your faith in different circumstances, but renew your faith in me. God would say to us, remember that I'm not the means to an end. I am the end. I love this verse that he says to Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. You know, when I was, uh, when my kids were younger, uh, I would often, uh, if I was away at a retreat or a traveling for some conference or something, I'd come home and I'd bring my kids a gift. Great idea, except for the one time that you don't bring your kids a gift because you establish a kind of precedent. 
And I remember one time that I came home and I didn't bring my kids anything. And they greeted me and as if, as if they were saying, Dad, we're glad you're here, but we wanted you to bring us something. What did you bring us? And I should have, in that moment, quoted Genesis 15.1. I am your great reward, kids. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it true that, that sometimes we, we, we want God, but we, more than that, we want relief from something that is troubling us? And sometimes, like Abraham, we, we get a different perspective and we step back and we go, I, I don't have exactly what I want, but I have a God who is committed to me, is committed to my flourishing. I have a God who my entire future is in his hands. And that shifts something in us. We began to see our challenge differently. Sometimes God brings flourishing in different ways than we thought. One of my close friends is Dan Matheson. He's the serves as he's also a colleague. He serves as the pastor of our 10th Westside community. And Dan and Karen have three beautiful young girls, the eldest of which, her name is Annie. And when Annie was born, I think we have a picture of them. We'll show that. Annie, who's in the middle uh, of this picture here, was born with a whole host of health concerns. She had a number of surgeries, even as a young child. And as she grew, she seemed to be unresponsive to sound. Over time, Dan and Karen worried that she might be deaf. So they prayed, and they believed. And they gathered others who prayed and believed. And they hoped for healing. And they waited. And when the diagnosis uh, was confirmed, they continued to pray. They continued to wait upon God for her healing. But the healing never came. Seven years later, Annie is flourishing. Dan and Karen recognize that they have a beautiful and a unique gift in having a deaf daughter. They have all learned sign language they are part of a vibrant deaf community here in the Lower Mainland. They've gone camping with this community. And Dan writes, it's not the healing we prayed for, but we received a flourishing beyond what we ever could have hoped or imagined. Abraham is so focused on the one child of promise, and God says, I am going to, to bring flourishing in ways that you can't even possibly begin to imagine. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Friends, we are reminded, like Abraham, that God is committed to our flourishing. It, it might be the way that we think. It might be different. But the cross shows us the extent to which God will go to bring us flourishing. Well, finally, what does resilient faith do? The story concludes in verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
He believed. He trusted. Abraham trusted not that everything was going to be okay, not that everything was going to be work out, but that God had him. That God has got him and he can be trusted. To believe means that you put your weight on it. When I was reading this and thinking about this image of putting your weight on something, I thought of uh, going ice fishing uh, with my dad when I was a young kid. We would go to these lakes in northern Alberta, um, and the, the concept of ice fishing as a young kid just kind of blew my mind. Wait a second, we're going to go out onto the lake? It was, it was mind-boggling to me, and I remember the first time that we went, I was probably five or six years old, and we stopped at the edge of the lake. And the question was, will this ice be able to hold us as we walked out there? And then my dad did something which I thought was completely reckless. He took his truck and he started driving on the ice. And I thought as a kid, at any second we were going to plunge through. That's what I envisioned happening. But my dad knew that this ice was six, eight, ten feet thick. It was solid. It was going to hold us. That we could trust it. We could put our weight on this even the weight of a truck and it would hold us. And when the scripture says that Abraham believed and trusted, he knew that God had had him, God, God has got him, and that he can put the entire weight of his life and his future and his plans and his disappointment upon God, that God would hold him. Friends, I wonder what it looks like for those of us who are in a season of waiting to put our, the weight of our future, the weight of our lives upon God in trust. To say, I'm in this season of waiting and I don't like it and it's painful. And I, I wish I had a, a master plan of how God was going to do this and his timing. But I don't, yet I trust God with my future, with this situation, with this relationship. Abraham waited 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled in his life. 25 years. David waited 15 years. Paul waited 11 years. Joseph, 13 years. Moses waited 14, 40 years. If you're in a season of waiting, you are in good company because you are joining with almost every believer who trusted God in the scriptures. Nelson Mandela was in Robben Island prison for 27 years waiting and praying, suffering before he was released and began to get a glimpse of a new vision for South Africa. Friends, in our waiting, remember that God is at work. When it's not working out, ask how God is working in you. I know that some of you are into sports. Maybe you played in university or, or as a kid or in high school. I, I dabbled in sports and hockey and in football. And I remember, and I'm sure you can imagine, wanting to play a sport, wanting to play football or basketball, and your coach says, you need to go to the weight room and you need to work out. 
sends the whole team into the weight room, and you're there in that place thinking, this is a giant waste of time. I, I wanna be playing football, I wanna be playing basketball. Why am I bench pressing in a weight room? In that moment, it feels like a giant waste of time. It does not feel related. And yet the coach knows that you are developing skills, you are developing strength and endurance and muscle memory, that those are crucial for you for when you go out on the playing field. And friends, could it be that in our waiting, we step back and say, things aren't working out the way that I want them to be in my time, but how is God working in me right now? How does he have me in the weight room, the W-A-I-T room? How is he allowing me to experience some struggles, some resistance? How is that growing me and shaping me? How is God developing patience in me? Do you think that if God wanted to grow patience in you, that one time during a time of prayer, a special time of prayer, that God just zaps you with patience? Wouldn't that be great? Or do you think during a particularly meaningful worship time where your hands are raised that God just says, perseverance, boom. Or do you think that if God wants to develop patience in you, he puts you into a situation at work where that photocopier keeps breaking down and those colleagues keep asking the same questions and your supplier is unreliable, and your customers are sometimes frustrating you, do you think he puts you into situations where you have to grow and trust and develop patience? Friends, how is it that God has you in the weight room? And can you hear his invitation today to trust him? When we wait, we trust in God's timing. And as I say that, I know that that just sounds so shallow and cliche. Hey friends, trust in God's timing. God's timing is different than yours. I hesitate to say that, and yet I don't know any other way to, for us to step back and realize that we have different schedules. That God is not in a rush as he forms your character. Sometimes we're not ready for what God has for us. Sometimes a gift given at the wrong time is not a gift. You know, our, our eldest two kids are 19 and, and 22, and they're always borrowing our car. Um, usually don't put gas in it, but that's another story for another sermon. Um, and I, I think that that is a gift to them. That is a blessing to them as they go to work or connecting with people. And I'm happy that they can use that car. But if they had asked for that car at age 12, that wouldn't have been a blessing. That would have been irresponsible. That would have been foolish for me to give them something before they were ready for it. I love them just as much as age 12 as I did at age 20. But, but sometimes, friends, we step back and we realize sometimes God doesn't give us what we want out of love because we're actually not ready to receive it. Friends, what is an area of your life that you, for which you are waiting? And it's painful. 
And friends, can God invite you today to lift your head, to not focus on the what, but to focus on the who, to remember that God is doing something in your waiting and that you and I are invited to trust him. How can you put your weight of your life and your future and your family into God's hands today? Let's pray together. Lord, you have reminded us of a story. And now we ask you to take that story and to personalize it to our own lives. So friends, in just these quiet moments, what area of your life are you invited to trust God? What area of your life do you find yourself waiting? Just take a moment to to speak to the Lord about that, to identify what that is. And now, Lord, would you speak to us about a step of trust? What might be a step that we can take this week, today, to renew our trust in you. Our trust, not that everything is going to work out like we want, but our trust that you've got us and that we can put the weight of our future and our lives in your hands. Friends, just take a moment to listen to how God might speak to you now. Lord, may it be said of us that like Abraham, we believed the Lord. We trusted the Lord. And it was credited to us as righteousness. Help us to believe, help us to trust, we pray in Christ's name.